Everybody has a pair of specs tonight. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to uh, begin 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And remember, as we, as we take a look, an outline has been proposed, and I, I kind of like that outline. <clears throat> we find it in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, as Paul writes, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and our Father. So we'll see the book will break down in these three categories. In fact, chapters 1 through 3 deal with their work of faith. And when we consider faith, remember, as we consider faith, faith is like that which covers our past. We see by the things that God brought us through that He is indeed worthy of our trust and of our faith. And so, as we look back, that's what increases our faith, doesn't it? I mean, I know the Scripture tells us Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But what is it that we read in the word that encourages our faith? I don't know. When I go through the book of Exodus and I see God part the Red Sea, or I hear Jesus on on that boat with the disciples in the storm and Jesus say, peace be still, that encourages my faith. What am I looking back to? Those things that God has already accomplished. And so, no, I'm okay. I'm just teasing. So those things that, that work, those things that we see, that's faith. So chapters 1 through 3 are going to deal with faith. Then their labor of love. And and really Paul is going to kind of focus in on what love is and what love's not in the beginning of chapter 4. And we'll see that labor of love there. The end of chapter 4 and chapter 5 will deal with their patience and hope. Hope leading to the future. Love touches us where we are right now. Faith, that covers our past. We look back and see. So as we see chapters 1 through 3, Paul's going to be looking back and and talking about the experiences that he had with them. Remember, in Thessalonica, Paul was only there three weeks. Three weeks, that's it. And the church was established, and the church grew, and the church was strong. Now, Paul's plan was to be there and get it going. You ever had God do something other than what your plan was? Because that occurs to me rather frequently. God kind of can put a wrench in that. But the point is, who is it that establishes the church? Is it a man? Is it a person? Or is it a work of the Spirit? And God's Spirit was moving in Thessalonica, and there's nothing anybody could do to squash that. And so Paul, only being there three weeks, the work gets started. But in his heart, he always wanted to go back. In his heart, he always wanted to go back and say, hey, here's some of the things that I want to tell you. But he's going to do it in his epistle. He's not going to do it in in, in a personal visit. But we get the opportunity in that epistle, all part of God's plan, to see Paul's wisdom for a body that was solid. And I want to tell you, um, I think the body here is a pretty solid body. I mean, there are things going on all the time. Things are happening. You would not believe all the stuff that's going on on a given day. you got folks working on the left, on the right, backwards, upside down, every which way. And, and sometimes the left hand doesn't necessarily know what the right hand's doing, but they're both working together. We had the sign out at the street, and, and uh, um, Doug and Daniela and, and Sharon and Lucille have been taking that on, and it's so cool, you can start to see the dove in front of it begin to take shape in the rock. And in the spring, folks, when the winter comes and goes, and the wildflowers and the bulbs that they put out there pop, man, that thing's going to be gorgeous. It's a part of the body doing its work. And what is it doing its work in? Love, man. It's not because there's some big paycheck at the end of all this. It's because they love it. There are little things all the time. There's stuff going on, you know, where the body is just working together. Such a blessing to be a part of a body that moves that way, that wants to, to, wants to look not for complaints. And Kathy got me a little sign for my office that says, yesterday was the last day for complaints to hang up. But really, I don't get any complaints now. You know, maybe we're in our honeymoon period right now and that'll change. I don't know. But right now, I don't get complaints. What I get is, hey, I feel like God is directing me this way and people willing to step up and, and, and move in the way that God's leading. So I really liken uh, the body, the health of the body here, like Paul 
to the church at Thessalonica. Man, they're, they're doing good. I mean, that's what Paul's telling them. Hey, you guys are doing good. You're moving forward. Now, don't be satisfied with that. Paul's going to encourage them, continue, move forward. If we're not moving forward, we're falling behind. But, but I love that attitude that I read as I study 1 Thessalonians and the attitude that we see here, a brotherhood that actually legitimately loves each other and cares about what's going on. Well, as we take a look in chapter 3, he begins, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother. Listen, Paul, Paul loves these guys so much. He actually comes to a point where he can no longer endure. Man, I need to know what's happening there. And so he says, hey, we'll stay in Athens alone and we'll send Timothy. So he sends one of the members of his team to Thessalonica, Timothy, go see how they're doing. Because he wanted to be there, but the Bible told us, chapter 2, Satan was hindering him. There were things happening in Paul's life that was put up a roadblock in front of him. Paul recognized it, not as a work of God, but as a work of Satan withholding what, what Paul was desiring to do. And so, as we see that work, he says, well, then, Timothy, you go. Well, Satan didn't hinder him, right? Timothy went. What does that tell us? Well, Timothy's who God wanted to be in Thessalonica. If God wanted Paul there, he'd have been there. But God wanted Timothy to go. It's part of Timothy's growth. Look what he says of Timothy. Timothy, uh, our brother and minister of God. That word minister is a word diakonos. It's a word we get deacon from. It literally means servant or slave. Somewhere along the line, being a minister came to mean something. You know, it, it meant that I got my name on a parking lot spot somewhere in the front it means that people who don't know you at all send you mail like the most holy right reverend jackie (laughs) man no lie i was at js i'm assistant pastor at js and i got mail that came to me there the most holy right reverend jackie now do you think that they just skimmed lightly over that Uh, pastor gerald's reading it in front of the entire congregation look at the kind of mail jackie gets most holy right i got called most holy right reverend for like two and a half weeks what all i knew by that that letter was like whoever it was had no idea who i was or they were confused with somebody else because that's definitely not who i am Back in Paul's time, how does Paul begin his letters? Paul, an apostle of Christ, a bondservant of Jesus, a slave. That's what minister always was supposed to be, a servant to the body. Someone not who is demanding the best spot or the the first in line for koinonia fellowship or any of that stuff, but rather someone who's there to serve the body, to meet the needs of the body. The concept of that of a, of a shepherd. That's what it's about. And here, Timothy, the diakonos, the minister, is being sent. But look what else he says. And also, our fellow laborer. That word, fellow laborer, today could be translated team player. See, Paul had been given a, a calling of God. A ministry. Go. Go to the Gentiles, spread the church, bring the gospel. He's going to write 13 epistles. He's going to be the foundation, really, to much of what we understand doctrinally in the New Testament. And as he's going, he has this vision, but God places people in his life, fellow laborers, team players, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy. They're going to go around with him at various times. And they're going to be a part of his team. Are they trying to run their own program? No. They're along with Paul. Hey, I'm called to support you and what you're doing. And so they're the team player. So that's what he's saying about Timothy. Hey, he's a servant. He's a slave. He's a team player. And we're sending him to you. And Paul could know it was okay to send him because he knew that was his heart. Paul will say of Timothy, I have no one as like-minded as you with me. That Timothy really understood Paul's heart. So when Paul would send someone to a church to talk to him about what was going on with Paul or what he wanted to address him, who better than Timothy to take that message? Who could reflect Paul's heart to him? 
and fulfill that calling that God had placed on his life to work alongside. Hey, sometimes folks are called to blaze trails. I think of guys like, like Jim Elliott. You know, Jim Elliott and, the, and those, those five missionaries that gave their lives in the late 50s there on the, on the Amazon River. That's a trailblazer. A guy who can stare in the face of an oncoming tribesman bent on killing them with a loaded rifle and not take a shot. Just put the rifle down. One of those missionaries told his son, we're ready for heaven. When his son asked him, Dad, if they, if they come after you, will you kill them? He said, son, we're ready for heaven. They're not. That's a trailblazer there. There were people called to come alongside and support that ministry. And afterwards, what did all their wives do? All those widows? Man, they reached out to those Indians. They all got saved. They're saved today because those men's wives went. They lived with them. The ones who killed their husbands. That's an incredible story. That's a trailblazer. Support. A team. Come together. And when a team works together, it doesn't matter what happens to the leadership of that team. The team's able to continue to move forward. And that's what they did. That's what they accomplished. And that's what Paul's doing here with Timothy. Hey, moving forward. He says, now listen, I've sent him to you as our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Hey, he's going to remind you of all them obstacles we faced in those three weeks and how God delivered us. And to say, keep going, because no matter what you're facing, God's going to deliver you again. And then he says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Isn't that a drag? I mean, really, if we could go through the Bible and, and take some white out and, and take some verses out, wouldn't you like to take all the affliction out? We give our life to Jesus, there won't be any affliction. But if there's no affliction, there's no growth. Every kid I ever coached, none of them liked practice. Nobody liked that period of time in which their bodies were torn down or when we tried to destroy their muscles in the weight room. But what happens when you do that? Their muscles grow. What happens to us when we overcome, when we go through affliction? Our muscles grow. Our spiritual muscle. And so we, we need to begin to look at it the way God wants us to see that. He says, listen, don't be shaken by these afflictions. For look at what he says. For we are appointed to this. Man, we're appointed to affliction. We're appointed to go through challenges to strengthen us. Keep your finger here and, and flip with me to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, the, the scripture lays out for us the, the attitude that we want to have. The attitude we want to have when we consider this. He says in verse 3 of Romans chapter 5, Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation knowing what the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out in our hearts by the holy spirit that was given to us hey we glory in tribulation He's saying, listen, I want to establish your faith. Look at how God delivered all those people. Look at how the people in the past grew. Look at how the Spirit of God was mightily upon them. Allow that to encourage your faith. Allow that to establish your faith. So when you see trials, tribulation, heartache, pain, whatever it is, that you would be able to, like James in James chapter 1, say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. Because that trial is going to produce within you patience. And patience, when it has its perfect work, when it comes to that completion, it's going to develop within us the endurance that is necessary that we, we hear written in Hebrews chapter 10. For we have need of endurance. I mean, most of us who are believers now realize that this is not some short race we're running. That it's not some sprint, whoop, you know, I got saved and what a rosy day that was, was a great day. But there have been many ups and downs since. And 
Timothy wanted these guys not to be shaken, but rather to be set firm, established, made strong, because you're appointed to affliction. In the Old Testament it says, in the furnace of affliction, he has perfected me. In the furnace of affliction. Man, that's, that's what it's all about. Well, we sing songs about it, don't we? Refiner's fire. My heart's one desire. Well, we, we sing it. It sounds nice when we're singing it. It's not exactly as sweet when we're in the fire, right? When the dross is being burned off. Well, this is what Timothy's sent to do. To let them know that they're appointed. For in fact... We told you before, when we were with you, just as, uh, or when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. Hey, Paul did not paint some rosy picture when he delivered the gospel. He made sure that people understood. I'll never forget when I was young, I, I was watching late night TV, and you know how sometimes uh, those TV evangelists will come on? I, I don't even know who it was. It was a youth, some kind of youth event that they had. But the youth pastor that was talking said, hey, give your life to Jesus and all your problems will go away. I was like, whoa. Give your life to Jesus and you'll be saved. I don't know about all the problems going away. We're still going to face affliction, right? We're still going to face difficult times. And so... Paul would tell him, hey, listen, guys, when he was there those three weeks, when he established that church, he told them, just like he told the Ephesians, you remember? When I go, wolves are going to come. Wolves not sparing the flock, trying to tear apart sheep, draw disciples after themselves. What's he saying? Hey, hard times will come. Times of persecution, times of difficulty. But don't be shaken in your faith. Be be established. I told you it was coming. Be ready. And realize that that is an opportunity for us to get a spiritual workout. It's an opportunity to have a spiritual workout. We need them. Hey, spiritually, if we're not doing anything, it's just atrophy, right? Shrivel all up. And then every little gust of wind is blowing us all over the place. James would say, don't be tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Why were they being blown all over the place? Because they're not spiritually in shape. We need to face those furnaces of affliction. We need to face that time as the Lord lays it out before us. So, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, verse 5, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter who had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. He said, I can't, I, I heard, he's hearing all these things. Oh, oh, things are hard on the church in Thessalonica. They're being persecuted. Bad things are happening. And he's, he, can you see the love and the caring from Paul? I mean, that's how he cared about people he only spent three weeks with. But isn't that what Jesus said should mark us? They will know You are my disciples by your love one for another. And we care about that stuff. And we care about the things people are going through. When I was at JS, we had a ministry called Warriors on the Walls. Very similar to what Susie does for us in sending out the the email prayer requests. And when I came to Yucca for a brief second, I thought, well, I should probably call the the folks at at, uh, JS at Yucca and tell them, you know, I'm here and they don't have to send me those prayer requests anymore. Then I thought about that. What sense does that make? I mean, so I get a prayer request from someone who doesn't live in Idaho. It's okay to pray for them too, isn't it? Well, sure it is. And we want to, we want to have that heart of love like Paul had. Hey, we have to care about other people. It keeps us from becoming too selfish. That is in total opposition to the world. Oh, take care of yourself. Make sure you're okay. Then worry about anybody else. Is that what we see in Jesus? Jesus was other-centered. The day he's going to the cross, wasn't he worried about his disciples? On his way to to Gagshmoni, to Gethsemane, didn't he pray for you and me? Sure he did. Sure he did. He was other-centered. And then Paul would write in Philippians what? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
We're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to have that attitude of love. So we want to have that. We want to, we want to allow that to touch us. But then look what he says. He's worried about the tempter. Hey, folks, we have an opportunity. I'm pretty excited about the, the men's retreat that's coming up. But over and over and over again, it keeps coming up. Well, throughout the scriptures that we're studying, hey, he says, I'm worried about the tempter tempting you and you, and you failing. Because what happens? So many times when we see trial and testing in our life, we need to realize what the enemy means to destroy you, God means for good. Whatever he tries to do to destroy you, you have a choice in that, right? Anytime we face a trial, temptation, or testing, the the only difference is whose point of view you're looking at it from. It's a testing from God because he wants to prove your faith. It's a trial or, or tribulation or or whatever from the, from the enemy, because he means to destroy your faith. But we ultimately have the choice which way we lean, don't we? I face that, and I have, I have a choice to get bitter and, and angry and frustrated, and I'm just falling into Satan's plan, and walking away from true power in my life. Or I can lean into the Lord and hold on to the promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Right? That there is no temptation that will come upon us such as is common to man. But with every temptation, every trial, every test, what's he give us? A way out. Way of escape. So we can bear it. Jesus would say, take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. What's he telling us? Hey, when we face those storms and those trouble, yet you guys have, have seen animals yoked together pulling something. Well, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm a big old burly ox. Yoke together with me. I'll help you shoulder the burden. Now we have a choice, though, don't we? We can just stay yoked to ourselves. Oh, I'm okay. It's a little problem. <laughs> those are usually the ones that get us. Those are usually the one. Hey, he's saying, I want to make sure that the devil is not gaining a foothold with you. Because when we face those things, if we'll look at it, whatever we face, the devil means to destroy us, God means it for good. And however, whichever way we lean, that's what's going to happen. We can allow that, that trial to destroy our, our faith and stumble us. But hey, listen to this. When we fail, what does it show us? Where we're weak. Is that not valuable? Well, sure is for me. There was a time when I was coaching football that I was thinking a lot about uh, my personal record as a coach. When you're thinking about your personal record as a coach, it's always good to schedule teams you can beat. So for about four years, we went unbeaten. Didn't lose a game until the state championship. And all of a sudden, I faced something that, sh- that pointed out weaknesses, but it was too late to fix. And we lose the game. And so I changed my, my look at things. Rather than being concerned about, about you know, how we were doing in the scheme of things, hey, I scheduled the biggest, baddest, meanest football teams in California. The best I could find. I played them. If they were ranked above me, they were on the schedule. And I play them. And sometimes I won, sometimes they won. But when I lost early in the season, you know what it showed me? My weakness. It showed me where I needed to put more effort. And so when I discovered that weakness, I could adjust that weakness. I could turn that weakness into a strength. When I get later down the road, it's not a problem anymore. Well, same thing's true in our spiritual walk. When we face trials and tribulations and we stumble and fall and mess up, instead of laying there going, oh, folks, we're going to get knocked down. If you think you're never going to fail, man, you're either way stronger or a little more foolish. But the reality is we're all going to fail. Like Peter We'll all come to a time where we deny, where we mess up, where we fall. The question is not, are you going to fall? It's what are you going to do after that? Are you going to lay down on the ground and just be satisfied? Just lay there and go, oh, I can't believe. Or are you going to get up? The true test for any individual, the true test is not 
whether or not they're going to get hit in life. It's when they get hammered, are they going to get back up? Because that man that don't stop getting up has the life that Jesus promised him. Zoe. Abundant, unstoppable life. I always think of Paul when I consider that, when I consider those things that that so often we can go through, those things that that so often we can face. And in in 2 Corinthians, you know, he's he's beginning to talk about some of the things that 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 went on in his life and some of the things that he faced and and some of the struggles um, uh, that he had. And as he lays that out for us, he says in verse 22 of chapter 11, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Uh, I'm speaking like a fool, but I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Can you imagine floating in the ocean a night and a day? You ever get out? Well, do y'all ever get to the ocean? <laughs> Sometimes I forget where I'm at. I used to go out swimming in the ocean, and we'd go swimming, and, and every once in a while you start just, your mind starts messing with you. Like if you're out there swimming, and a dolphin goes by. In your mind, you know it's a dolphin. Sort of. But your heart thinks it's a shark. And it starts going... And you have this moment of panic. Yeah, you hear jaws going on in your head. You know, and I, can you imagine floating in the ocean a night and a day? I'm, at night, you can't see what's in the water. Not like you see it anyway, but at least daytime, you feel safe in the light, right? A night and a day, he was in the deep, floating around uh, in the water. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils from my own countrymen, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, cold and nakedness. And besides all these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep love for all the churches. But that's unstoppable life right there. Because no matter how many times the enemy knocked Paul down, but he got back up. He got back up. He says, I was beaten with rods three times. That's that first part of what we saw in the Passion of the Christ. When the Romans first beat Jesus with rods. That's what that is all about. Three times? At least once was in Philippi. And then they threw him in the stocks. And what was he doing? Praising the Lord. Why? Didn't bother him. He didn't look at that as God hates me. He says, hey, I'm just working out my spiritual muscle. And he become a strong man in the Lord, didn't he? Not in his own might, right? People say if you saw Paul, he was, he was a weak looking old man. Hunchback, hooked nose, watery eyes. You know, the descriptions that you can find in Josephus or Eusebius. But it's not about how he looked. It was the spirit within him. The spirit within him that made him strong. So this is what he's calling us to. Hey, Paul doesn't ask us to do something he wasn't experiencing himself. Any great leader, he's going to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not do what I say, not what I do. Although maybe some of us have said that to our kids a time or two. Like when I'm telling Cole, don't drink monsters. Oops. Anyhow. I digress. I, I suppose there are worse things than monsters in the world. Somewhere. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so he goes on. But now, in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you, have, or that you always have remembered us, greatly desiring to see us, and we also to see you. What did he come back and tell him? Hey, man, 
They have faith. They're doing strong. And they love you as much as you love them. What did Jesus say? They'll know you are my disciples. You're loved one for another. Man, if the first thing in your mind when thinking about another body, another part of the body, another church is competition, that isn't God's way, man. We're not in competition. We're all trying to do the same thing. We just do it different ways. It's okay. We don't have to have animosity towards our brethren. Rather, we want to love them. That's how Paul was. He loved them and they loved him. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. The cool thing about the Greek, and I'll I'll share it every once in a while, is it gives you a, a little clearer understanding than the English. For example, in the Greek, there are four different words for the word if. In English, we have one word for if. It means oh, sometime, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But that's not what it means in the, in the Greek. This word if has that uh, classification like the word since. Not, well, maybe you're going to make it, maybe you won't. But since you're doing so well, since you're standing so strong, man, that really helped Paul in his distress, in the tribulation that he was going through. John would write in his epistles, we have no greater joy than to hear our children walk with God. Oh, if we're parents, don't we, don't we know that same feeling? There's no greater joy, and on the other hand, there's no greater distress. You know, Kathy and I are, it's, it's funny, because, you know, your kids always have to go find their own way, right? I mean, at some point, it was kind of easy when Kathy and I were close to JC, my oldest son, but we're a couple states away now. So... You, you learn that I have to give them to the Lord. And I know, I know this. God loves them more than I do. And I love them a lot. But God loves them more than I do. He doesn't want to let them go. So we find our, our rest there. But what Paul's saying here, hey, I was encouraged when I heard how well you're doing, how strong the church is. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Hey, he's saying, look, you're going to grow from this epistle, but man, it'd be so great if you could, if I can be there in in person. If I can be there in person, there's more. Well, you and I, we experience that. You gain more when you're a part of a service in person than when you listen to it on a CD. I mean, I'm not saying listening to it on a CD is bad. No, it's not bad. But there's a difference getting a chance to just be a part of what's going on, to be there as the Spirit moves. Sometimes you can listen to a CD and and you can hear the Spirit move, but it's just not the same as being there. It's not the same... As being a part. And that's all Paul saying, hey, I want to be there. We're going to pray that we can come and perfect or help complete what's lacking in your faith. Paul wanted to be able to help establish them more completely. Now, verse 11. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. You hear how he prays? Basically, he's saying, hey, I want to come to you. I want to come to you with all my heart, but hey, God's going to direct it. May God make a way. And if he don't make a way, he don't make a way. It's okay. Maybe you've experienced, I know I have in my life, there are things I want. I want this, and I want it to be like that, and then I'm going to, I'm going to build an outline, and this is how it shall be. And then God changes the plan. Sometimes we're a little disappointed, but Lord, my plan was good. But see, Paul's like, Lord, your plan. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and let him what direct your path. He'll lead you. That's what Paul's saying here. My heart is to be there, but God's got to make it happen. God's got to be the one to open the doors. And so, he goes on now and says in verse 12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. 
Hey, now he's saying he's kind of switching gears. We're kind of leaving the concept of faith behind. We're going to move towards the concept of love right now. And he's saying, listen, more, more. Don't be satisfied. Never be satisfied with where you are spiritually. Want more. Want more. If God's got something else, you should want it. If God's got another direction for you, desire it. The Bible would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, earnestly desire the best gifts. What's the best gift? It's the gift you need. Whatever you need at the moment you need it, that's the best gift. If you need a word of knowledge, and the Lord desire that God gives you a word of knowledge. If you need the, uh, uh, an understanding, if you need the spirit of discernment, whatever it is, earnestly desire whatever the best is God has. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. God's not going to do anything in us, through us, or to us that is not for our good and His glory. So we don't have to be afraid of that. Hey, always abounding more and more. Always growing. Always coming closer to Him. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Listen. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Where does holiness take place? The Pharisees thought it was all external. So Jesus said to them, You are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but the inside's full of death. Here, what's the Bible say? Where does holiness take place? In the heart. In your heart. It's internal. It's inside of us. Outside of us may at one time or another either look or not look holy. The question is the heart. I'm always thinking of Lot. The Bible called Lot righteous. Can you imagine such a thing? In Sodom and Gomorrah, the same Lot who offered his daughters to all the crazy people that were trying to get to the two angels, the Bible says he was righteous. Why? Because in his heart, that place vexed him day and night. He didn't always perform. But in his heart? This is what the Bible is talking about here. Hey, that your hearts may be blameless. Folks, before we can change the outside, you got to change the inside. We can doll up the outside all you want. That's what the Pharisees did. The truth of holiness takes place inside. It's a desire in our heart. I want to be holy. I want to step forward in what God's calling me to. I want to have that internal change. That's what we desire. That's what we want. The heart blameless in holiness. In chapter 4, verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you shall abound more and more, just as you receive from us, How you ought to walk and to please God. Again, abound. Constantly growing. If we're not moving forward, you're falling behind. We want to be moving forward. But you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Oh, I wish I knew what the will of God was for my life. Well, this is one of them verses you should circle. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. What's sanctification? The act of justification. It's God making us right. Making us set apart. Set apart for His use. God sanctifies. And so, our sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And that phrase, sexual immorality, includes a wide range of sexual immorality. All sorts of perversion that mankind can imagine the Bible speaks of, calls it all sexual immorality. Any sex outside of marriage, any sex with someone else when you're in marriage, anything outside of what God ordained for sex to be is sexually immoral. Period. No argument. So he's saying, listen, we're talking about love. What's the world say love is? How many people you can take a piece from? What good is that? You're ripping off pieces of people's soul, running around the world with all these empty people that have given themselves away, 
time and time again thinking that this is what love is? And what do we discover in our world? Have they found it? No. Just as empty as the day they started looking. Just as empty. He says, this is the will of God. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Possessing our own vessel, our bodies. And that our body is the temple of God. Paul would say, don't you know if you're joined to a harlot, you have joined the body of Christ to her? What are you doing? Far be it from us that that would be our heart. We want to possess our bodies, present our bodies as tools of righteousness to a holy and a just God rather than tools of darkness to the enemy. Oh, but you know, the enemy tells us all the lies about how great it'll be. But we all know better than that. Sin's always good for a season, but be sure your sin will find you out. Every time. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Well, take a look. We'll talk about it here. The scripture says, Now, not in the passion of lust, in verse 5, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter. What's he talking about? He's still talking about sexual immorality. Don't defraud a brother. Don't defraud a sister. Don't defraud someone else through sexual immorality because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. He's saying, Paul taught him this in his three weeks there. Abstain from sexual immorality. Hey, the things that happen in our world today were happening then. It's not like we invented it all. Or the United States messed it all up. It was just as messed up in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in Rome, in Greece, as it is here today. Nothing new under the sun, folks. It's been going on for as long as man's been on the earth. That kind of stuff has been happening. But I want you to consider a story. You remember David? He sinned with Bathsheba. About 20 years later, his son Absalom decides to rebel against his father, try to take the kingdom. When he does that, David's most trusted advisor, Ahithophel, he goes against David. He lines himself with Absalom. It's like a point of betrayal that breaks David's heart. And David is like, I don't understand. I can't believe it. Ahithophel, the best advisor that David had. And he went to Absalom and he laid out for Absalom everything that Absalom needed to have a victory over David. But Absalom wouldn't listen. And Ahithophel said, oh, he's an idiot. Basically, that's a paraphrase. And so he went and hung himself, killed himself. And David wrote songs and psalms about the betrayal of Ahithophel. And, and ultimately, Absalom's rebellion is squashed and David remains king. But if you do a careful study in the genealogies, you discover something about Ahithophel. He had a baby granddaughter. He loved with all his heart, just like grandpas do, their little granddaughters. Her name was Bathsheba. Her husband, her husband Uriah, was a good man. But David, he killed him so that he could take Bathsheba. An act of sexual immorality 20 years earlier planted the seed for rebellion 20 years later. Oh, the story has two parts, so right? I mean, we know that David bowed down before the Lord in forgiveness. And we know that Ahithophel held on to his bitterness, right? But see, the scripture is still true. It's not God that finds you out. What finds you out? Your sin. It has a course. It has a life or an anti-life, a destruction that it wants to to wreck in your life. 
So for, a, for David, it was sowing seeds of sexual immorality that he sows or, or reaps later in his life in a rebellion with his son and betrayal of his friend. But for Ahithophel, it was bitterness. Well, and it destroyed him too. And how many more lives were lost in the war? But God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if we know anything about sowing and reaping, we know you may plant one seed, but you reap so much more. And so often we look at that verse in a negative sense, don't we? Oh, I've sowed a lot of junk in my life. And I I reaped a lot of consequences from that junk. But guess what? God's still not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. If you reap... Of the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you reap, if you sow the spirit, what? You reap eternal life. So we are capable of reaping the good things. That's why Paul says, hey, don't present yourself as your body as tools to darkness or unrighteousness, but present it as tools of righteousness so that God can be glorified in what you do. He's laying out for him a truth about love. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Remind yourself of that. God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. The Bible says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. Well, there's only one way I can be perfect. See, any man or woman who is in Christ is a just man or woman made perfect. That's what the Bible says. We are perfect in Christ. So, We want to be perfect. We need to be attached to him. Therefore, he who rejects this isn't rejecting man, but God who has also given us the Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, phileo, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Again, he's going to say, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, what? More. Abound. More and more. Don't be satisfied. Your brotherly love? Awesome. You're doing great. Sexual immorality? Remember, keep your bodies pure. What the world says is love isn't love. But what God says is love is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the definition of love. If it can't be, if you can't put your name everywhere it says love in 1 Corinthians 13... We're falling short. Test it. Put Jesus' name in there. See if it don't fit. All the way through, Jesus' name fits. Jackie's name, not so much. So, so I throw my arms up and quit? No. What did Paul say? Abound more and more. In, in Exodus, we're told that God gave the children of Israel victory how? Little by little. Step by step. That's the same way we gain the victory in our lives. Little by little. Step by step. Always moving forward. Finally, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Gives them three things. Three things. This is where the rubber of love touches the road of life. First, aspire to a quiet life. Aspire to a quiet life. How many people in history have always said, all I really wanted was a quiet life? Sometimes a quiet life isn't what you got coming. But what does he say? Don't have a quiet life. What? Aspire to it. That that would be our desire. Then he says the second thing where the rubber of love touches the road. Mind your own business. Don't need busybodies. There's enough work to do in the kingdom of God. We don't need to worry about what anybody else has got going on. Mind your own business. And then what's he say? Work. Work. Work with your own hands as we commanded you. There's work to be done. And we should be a part of getting it done. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may, not, that you may lack nothing. You may walk properly with those who are outside the body, that they see the example that you're given. Hey, tonight as we, as we close up and as we finish up tonight, 
There's something that God has put on my heart that I, I want to kind of try to get going on on Sunday nights, and that is that at the end of our time of teaching, that we're able to have a time I call afterglow. And afterglow, basically, what we're what we're asking you to do is, if you're if you're able to stay, if you can't stay, it's okay. We're going to do worship like we've been doing, and we want to invite you to to be a part of of uh, just opening your heart, who you are, to the work of the, the Spirit in through your life. We're going to have, uh, tonight as I do it, um, I asked Kathy to, to come up. She'll be up front. She's done quite a few afterglows in her life. She's up here basically because if you want to come up for prayer, she'd be happy to pray with you. If you'd like to come up and and pray to to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you want to pray for the gift of tongues, if you want to pray for a manifestation of the Spirit, we want to provide you that opportunity. Don't have to. We just want to give that that opportunity. We're going to close out the night, and and we'll just keep doing music. I'm just going to play, and I'm going to sing. You don't have to wait for me to be quiet. If if God gives you a, a and you you have a desire to sing. In the Spirit, sing in the Spirit. You have a desire, the Lord, the Spirit moves in your heart, and you want to express the gifts of the Spirit in your life, or God gives you a word for someone else in the fellowship, then take that word to them. Just remember this. The focus is Jesus. And in order for the focus to be Jesus, Jesus ought to still be able to be heard. So while we're doing worship, for those who want to just praise the Lord, lift their arms up, sing. If they want to come up to the altar and, and bow down, if they want to lay on the floor, they should still be able to do that while the Spirit's moving within the body. As soon as what's going on becomes all about any one person or one thing, we're taking the focus off of what God wants to do and we're taking the focus off of Jesus. I want the focus to remain on Him. I want you to express the, the Holy Spirit in your life and amongst yourselves, gather together with Kathy up front, praising in the Spirit. That's all great. It's all cool. I just want the focus to stay Jesus and not to get on any one person. So we're going to go ahead and do that tonight. Uh, I got a bunch of music, so we'll do it for a while. Um, and, and hopefully that's what we'll be uh, kind of establishing for Sunday nights. So uh, we'll call it Shekinah House and, and we'll get busy with it. So We're going to pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. This time that we come before you, we ask, Father, that you would just move in this place. Lord, we surrender the rest of this evening to you, to the power of your spirit. Lord God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here who's afraid or fearful of the work of the spirit, God, that that, Lord, you are a just and perfect God, a loving father. You would not give your children anything that would hurt them or destroy them. And you definitely don't give us anything to bring fear. So, Father, I just pray your spirit would rule and reign in this place as we seek to honor and glorify you in this time. We just ask that that this would be about you. And uh, not about any one of us, but just about you, all about you, Lord, that we can just have a time to experience, Lord God, all that you have for us this evening. So, Lord, we lay it before you in Jesus' name. Amen.